Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Raw Knuckles podcast. We'd really appreciate it if you'd like, subscribe, and share with a friend. I said it. I made the mistake. And you learn from it. And we need more accountability in our life because, you know, I'm not the victim. When I stepped on the ice, I never backed down and I never stayed down. And I was vicious and I was malicious and I don't care. <laughs> I'm alive. He's a freaking madman. Look at him going to town. All right, Tim Peel, uh, welcome to the show, Raw Knuckles Podcast. Tim Stapleton alongside Knuckles here. Listen, it's it's great to have you. You, my friend, are only the second referee to join us because, you know, I hate fucking referees. <laughs> <laughs> I hated referees when I played, so I'm, I, don't, I, I don't blame you one little bit. Oh, <laughs> well, listen, uh, all kidding aside, I... Um, it's awesome to have you here today, and certainly uh, I got to watch your career. I never uh, was playing when you were out in the ice, but I, but before we really get into how you got into the ref game, uh, I want to go back to the beginning, New Brunswick. You're from New mm-hmm. Brunswick, and now I, I try to do some research and find out a little more about you personally, and... Um, you know, I, I saw one piece they did on you in St. Louis. I think it was the news station there did sports mm-hmm. segment on you and <clears throat> said you grew up in New Brunswick. And um, what was your upbringing like uh, in in New Brunswick? And, and did you play hockey growing up there? And give us a little. Yeah, I, I yeah, I grew up in a small town called Hampton, just outside of St. John. It was a population of a thousand people back then. Uh, I was born in Toronto, 1966. Uh, my birth mother, she was in high school in Sudbury in Nickel Country, and she got knocked up by a, an Italian guy. And back in 1966, there weren't a lot of single moms, and there were probably actually none. Uh, you know, it would have been an embarrassment at that time. So she moved to Toronto without anyone knowing that she was pregnant and uh, put me up for adoption. I was in an orphanage for a little while. And then was adopted by this family. And then shortly after, we moved to the Maritimes. And, uh, you know, we didn't, both my parents worked, but we didn't have any money. I grew up in a trailer park. Um, but I lived beside this golf course. And we, at the time, we weren't members because we didn't have any money. And so I started caddying and, and cleaning clubs and working in the back shop to make extra money. And then when the wintertime rolled around, I was 13 years old and, and, you know, Knuckles, you know, the small towns in Canada, we have, we had one rink, no stops, no, no traffic lights, just a small town. And the, the hockey rink is, it was where everybody hung out. And so I was there, you know, probably six, seven days a week. So mom and dad were like, you know, because now I missed having the spending money from the summertime. They're like, why don't you start refereeing the, the six U's and the eight U's and 10 U's, et cetera. So that's how I got started. And, uh, and back then senior hockey was really big in the Maritimes and, and Knuckles, I know you'll remember this name, Jerry Fleming. Oh yeah. Uh, big Jerry. So big Jerry Fleming had a short, he had a cup of coffee with Montreal and I was, I was a linesman in, uh, uh, the American hockey league. 
and he fought Link Gates one night at the Aiken Center in Fredericton. And I remember Phil Russell, I think, was scouting for the Montreal Canadiens, and there were a bunch of scouts there that game. And and Fleming beat the shit out of Link Gates, which was a big deal. Yeah. And and the next day, uh, Jerry had a one way ticket up to Montreal. And uh, so so then uh, so I was refereeing senior hockey, and back then. So then Jerry eventually came and played senior hockey down there. And then you had Ivan Votor. You remember Ivan with yeah. the Jersey Devils. And it was a man's game back then. Like we had this right. rink called the Lord Beaverbrook rink. Seated about 800 people. I played there. I don't know how many times. <laughs> really? I was just there last week. Uh, no, three weeks ago. Sorry. For, for a charity event or? No. Yeah. yeah. I, I was there twice in the last month and a half with a friend of mine that I do stuff with there, Steve Walton. And the Lord Beaverbrook, they had a um, street hockey league. I was there with all the boys. It was crazy. Oh, that's awesome. Crazy. But anyway. Yeah. So back then, continue. senior hockey, you know, the, the, the everyone's, it's a Friday or Saturday night. It's a big night, you know, and everyone's drunk at the game and smoking. And the Lord Beaverbrook <laughs> rink is just, you know, we got, I remember one game we had bench clearing brawls. I'm in underneath the stands you know, on the cement with my skates on, breaking up fights. We had the Roberge brothers played oh, in that league. Jesus. Uh, oh, Jesus. Jacques May. This is a name from the past that you'll recognize, Jacques Mayotte. Oh, yeah. He was nuts. <laughs> if you were on your knees and, and he didn't, he'd fucking cross-check you right in the face. Like, he didn't Ooh. care. This was men. This was a man's game back then. Like, it was yep. a man's game. And so back then, <laughs> um, we had senior hockey. We had the American League. And then uh, I got transferred to Toronto, and then uh, I was lucky enough I got in the OHL. And then, as you know, back then when I was, you know, I was in New Brunswick in the '80s, we didn't have the Quebec League, uh. the Quebec Major Junior League, so the referees were primarily scouted out of Ontario and Western Canada, and a few guys in the U.S., but not many Americans back then. So when I moved uh. to Toronto and got in the OHL, that's kind of when things took off for me. <clears throat> and, that, and you were like planning, like your goal was to get to the NHL then. Like, you know what I mean? Like that was. Yeah. Back then it was Tim. I, I was, uh, I was kind of small. I was five, nine, five, eight at the time. I'm five, 10 now, but I was small and I, but, and shitty hands, but I was a good skater. (laughs) And so when I got into the referee and I realized that, you know what, the, my playing days are over. Uh, but this was a good way to stay involved in the game. And I really liked it. And back then when I was working as a local linesman in St. John and Moncton, they had the Moncton Golden Flames where Hully played and Crispy was the head coach. And back, back going back further, they, they uh, the New Brunswick Hawks were Toronto's farm team. You had Rocky Saginaw and all these guys. And so I would work, I'd be the local guy. I was working at a bank and Stephen Walkham and Mick Magoo and all these referees, Don Van Massenhove, and they'd all fly in for the weekend to do a bunch of games in the Maritimes. And I was a local linesman and would hang out with them and do the games. And then when, you know, at early 20s, I'm like, you know what? I think I can do this for a living. I think I'm good enough. And then that's when it took off. Like I mentioned, when I, when I moved to Toronto, John D'Amico was retired. And I know you, he, he, John yeah. would have broken up a lot of your yeah, fights, Chris. He did. <laughs> and for whatever reason, John took a liking to me and he was a, t- he was a tough, he was a tough guy. And, and for whatever reason, he liked me and Brian Lewis was the boss back then. And, yeah. and those two were the, Brian eventually hired me in 1998. 
Well, t- t- Stapes, I- I'm telling you, senior hockey here. And, and I was going to ask you, Tim, about that because, you know, back in the 80s, and we know the fight and how fucking crazy it was. It's like, I was telling Stapes about how, you know, back in that day, I, you, you could fucking slash them and try and break their arm. They'd get two minutes <laughs> if. Yeah, if, if you got that. Um, if you got that. <laughs> and it, it was crazy. But when you talk senior hockey, it was totally fucking nuts. They have the Quebec League here, senior hockey, was Tim Stapleton, was fucking crazy. I know. Um, you know, guys work all week. Yeah. They're fucking all jacked up on the on the juice. And then they go out there and fucking have two, three fights a night. And the place goes fucking nuts. But I was going to ask you about reffing those games and that experience, what that was like. But that's crazy. Yeah. People ask me what are some of my best best memories of, of refereeing. And, you know, of course, the NHL. But it was back then in senior hockey. Like, like you mentioned, Knuckles. It was these guys... You know, lots of the guys I knew in St. John, Bobby Kane, he was a big, tough guy. He, he was a firefighter. You know, other guys were delivery truck drivers, whatever. And they'd work all day, and then they'd show up at the rink, and, and they'd put on a show for the fans and kick the shit out of were, each other. Were you ever scared? Were you ever scared in those games? Because, listen, let, let's say NHL, right? You're going to yeah. call penalty against a fighter. He's not going to fucking come and pop you. But those senior leagues or those other leagues, like yeah. – Man, you're taking your life in your hands sometimes. If if you're going to confront the player or you're going to penalize him, did, did you ever feel threatened at all? No, the, no you opinion. know what? But as, as, cra- as crazy and as tough as those guys were, uh, I never, ever felt like that. The only time that I was a little worried was at the old Lord Beaverbrook rink, like I mentioned, on a Friday or Saturday night. And if the home team didn't like a call, here comes the pint bottles. Like, they'd be throwing glass <laughs> oh, bottles on you on the ice like that, <laughs> throwing batteries at you. You know, the glass back then was this high. They'd be over, trying to reach over and grab you. Like, it was a shit show back then. It was nuts, but it was so much fun. Like, I miss those days. Our hockey is so good right now, as you know. But I miss that era of the 80s and 90s. And when yeah. you were playing and, and you know, you had, and you you know, uh, who was I talking to? Rivalries. The great rivalries there were. Yeah. You know, like I was, I grew up in New Brunswick and I was a big Toronto fan. And you guys would beat Toronto every Saturday night on Hockey Night in Canada. Every Saturday night. And, but I was telling the story the other day, Knuckles, about, because number 21, Borea Salming was one of my favorite players. Oh. Now, can yep. you imagine the shit that he went through when he played you guys? When he went to Philly, they fucking tried to kill him back then. And he was one tough sweet. Listen, and I, I couldn't agree more. And I say that. And this is a guy, I've said this before in interviews, um, countless interviews. And it, it, it seems to never come up. But people always talk about, uh, obviously, what I did. You know, sure. fucking tough guy, this and that. And I always talk, well, it doesn't mean just because you fought doesn't mean you're the only tough guy in the fucking league. There's a lot of tough guys. And I would always refer to Matt Snazzle, uh-huh. what he had to put, put up with to play this game in that era. But I go back to even before Matt's. And what I say is the guy who blazed the way for Matt's and all those other Europeans was Borja Salming. And when he came here, it was that chicken shit, shit Swede. We're going to fucking kill him. Fuck you. You're not going to come over here and take our job. That guy was as fucking tough as they come to put up with what he had to put up with 
in the league when he came over here. One of the first to do it. I know. And, and that to me is I know. that's fucking top. Like, like and a wonderful guy. Too. Like you you knew when you were going to the spectrum, you were definitely fighting. Like you were gonna fight when yeah. you went to the spectrum. And, and yeah, they can you imagine Bobby Clark and those guys back then? They would have been trying to run oh. him right out of the building. Break his you know? fucking ankle. Oh. The guy, the guys get paid in that mm-hmm. senior league, or was it just like guys fighting because they had a baby yeah, yeah. at work? Or... Yeah, they got paid under the yeah. table. A couple Italian guys in St. John. It was called the St. It was they were called the St. John <laughs> Vito's, and it's Vito's restaurant. And it's still there. And I'd go up there yeah. to have lunch. I knew the owners, and there'd be you know the players that day. They'd be eating free, you know, for their pregame meal. And and the you know back then there some guys were getting a thousand a week. Other guys were getting five hundred, three fifty. Like they were they were making pretty good money. They yeah. were getting bonuses for fights. Yeah, too, bonuses. Guys, right? and, they would get bonuses. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot wow. of fun. <laughs> well, so you make your way, obviously, um, you know, you get to the American Hockey League. How long did you spend in the A, and what was the learning curve for you? Uh, was it pretty seamless having refereed in senior hockey, then you get the American League? It must have been, okay, Well, <laughs> not crazy like that league, but how'd that go? So back, back in the early 90s, they had what they, they call the NHL trainee program. So when I moved to Toronto in 96, 95. Um, they hired me on as a trainee and on the weekends, I would, I, I wouldn't work American league games. I would fly to the U S and work IHL games, the old international hockey league. And that was tough hockey too, back then the IHL. And that was, that was, that was older guys that, that were too old now to play in the American hockey league. But I remember, remember Rob Brown, he scored, 50 goals playing on yep. Mario's line. Like, you know, they were paying him 800 grand a year, million bucks a year to play in the eye. Like they way overpaid their players. And that's why the, the league went under. But on the weekends, I'd go down and do the IHL. And I remember one of my first games of pro hockey, John D'Amico, because he had been following me and and, and was promoting me to the NHL. And I missed, a, I missed a, a hit in Indianapolis and they carried the guy off in a stretcher in the first period. And John comes down in between periods and just fucking read me the riot act. And, and then, but, but one of my favorite stories, so it's 1996, 97. And they're talking about doing the, going to the four man system in the NHL. And as you know, back then they would try as they do now, different rules in the American league and the IHL to see if it worked before they brought it up to the NHL. So I got picked to do this game in Detroit with the Vipers. I think they were playing Fort Wayne Comets and, and Ludzik was, no, Bordelow, J.P. Bordelow was coaching back then. Ludzi was playing, Bradshaw. Um, yeah. you, do you remember Wayne Presley? You remember Elvis? Yeah, yeah Wayne Presley, yeah, from Chicago. Yeah. So anyway, so, so I got Bob McCammon, who was the president of the IHL, he flies in for this game. Brian Lewis flies in, who's the director of officiating. They want to see how this four-man system is going to work and see if it can work in the NHL. So I'm just working with the local referee. He's not on the radar for the NHL. And and so this is a really good opportunity for me to show these guys. And so it, we're late in the game. And back then, you know, 95, 96, you didn't call any penalties, you know, unless it was uh, flagrant and certainly not in a tied game late in the game. So we get a, a timeout with about a minute and 30 left. And I go to this young referee. I go, listen, 
we're not calling anything the rest of the game. We got it. We're a tie game, minute and 30. Put your whistle away. We're not calling anything. Thank God there were no microphones. Yeah, exactly. Back then. <laughs> but it was accepted back then, you know. <laughs> yeah, you would. Yep. So, yep. so anyway, for right. some reason, I have a brain fart and I call a tripping penalty in the neutral zone with like a minute left. It was an awful call. And the visiting team scores, Fort Wayne scores on the Vipers. The Vipers players are chasing me off the ice. Now I got four. I got a four-hour drive after the game to drive back to Toronto and go to go to the bank the next day at eight in the morning. And Brian Lewis comes in. He goes like this. I'm in the dressing room. I come in. I throw my helmet down. He come, He goes like this. I go out in the hallway. He looks at me. He goes, "Maybe you're not as good as you think you are." And he did a 180 and walked away. And so the whole drive home, I'm like, well, that's that. I'm done. I'm never going to get hired. I fucked it up. This is one of my one opportunity to really show. And I fucked it up. And I thought I was done. And Brian, I guess, you know, was trying to te- was trying to maybe humble me a little bit because I was probably a little too cocky back then. And uh, eventually, two years later in 98, he hired me. So what do you think of that uh, awesome four man system? Did it make things easier or what, what was your thoughts when that first happened? Yeah, you know what, Tim, it's yes and no, it's easier. Um, it's impossible to ref three men now with the game the way it is without it, without a red line. I remember one year, Gordy Dwyer, a good ref, he was sick, uh, puking before the game. He couldn't go out and I worked the game by, by myself in Chicago. And the whole time I'm two zones back, you know, they're throwing the puck from you know, the goal line up to the far red line, it's impossible. It's impossible to yeah. keep up to the speed of the game now with, with three. The only frustrating part is, and I'm sure it was frustrating for Kerry Frazier, Mick Magoo, Don Koharski, Bill McCreary, all these legend legendary refs. When I came in the league and I had to work with them or they had to work with me and I was green and I would call penalties that they probably might not have called. So it was the same thing when I was, a senior ref and I'd work with a young guy and he'd call something right in front of me. And I'd be like, like, that's not a penalty. That's not an NHL penalty. So it frustrates players sometimes, but for the, for the good of the game, you've got to have four officials now just because it's too fast. So are you saying if the red line was back in, could one official do the game, even though the speed is what I it think, is? Because it'd slow the game yeah, up, it would right? Slow the, you you got to come up the ice together. Correct. correct. I yeah. think if they had the red line back in it, you could. But it would also be difficult. You know, Stephen Walkham always refers to the standard, the standard, the standard. The NHL standard is hooking the hands, you know, free hand, take your hand off and put it on his shoulder and spin him around. The, the standard that they expect now for the refs, uh, it may uh, deteriorate a little bit if there was only one referee out there, because even though you might have the red line in, the, as you mentioned, the game, these players are just so fast right now. Yeah. You know, um, yeah, I listen to Bobby Orr and, uh, and the things he said over the years and how he would really like to see the red line put back in if the NHL really cared about the health of the players, one. Um, two, he would like to see it because teams would have to pass their way and come up the ice together. 
and 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 then we're gonna we'd really see a, the talent come out. Let's see you pass your way up the ice and get there instead of the long stretch pass, like you said. And and what do you think of that? Do you think um, the NHL would just never? I don't go think that they'll way? ever go back that way. But I agree with Bobby. Is and and he may have, may have mentioned you know alluded to this in his comment, but it would really make defensemen have to make passes instead of just banging it off the glass and putting it out in the neutral zone. Um, I think it would be, it would be beneficial for the defenseman to have to make a play and have to make a good pass because right now you don't see a lot of that. You just see high chips up chip outs by the defenseman high off the glass. So I agree with it, but I, I don't think, uh, I don't think, I think that, you know, speed sells right now, the speed of the game, sells and the talent of these guys so i think the i think the game is in a good place and you know it seems to be that sometimes and they haven't really the last couple of years but sometimes we tinker too much with with our sport and try to make changes when really we don't have to but i think right i think the league's very happy with, with where the game is now and and the rules and the standard and and i think the players like it too What's your take on uh, like the fighting and stuff? Like, do you feel like it's uh, benefited? Like, kind of, you know, it's it's kind of getting out of the game now, right? But like, you 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 starting in that senior league and the difference from then to today. What's your thoughts on that? You know what? As old school as I am, and I loved you know watching Chris fight and the, you know growing up in that era. Um, you guys remember the fight where Colton Orr knocked out. George Peros in Montreal. Yeah. I was above that. I was in Montreal, yeah. up in the press box, right above that when it happened. And I heard his face yeah. hit the ice. You know I what's amazing, it. and and knock on wood, is I think first of all, I think everybody still likes to see a fight. I get it. I get it. The fans, you know, like you know, are you know, like Don Cherry used to say, they're not, they don't get up and go to the bathroom or go get a beer when there's a fight going on. The only thing that I worry about now is because of the society and the era we're living in uh, and the world we're living in is it scares me that if anybody ever got in a fight and they lost their helmet and they fell and hit their head on the ice to the severity that they either were severely brain damaged or even worse, we had a death in hockey. Like, I'm shocked, honestly shocked, that nobody has been seriously hurt. You know, obviously, seriously hurt is, is there's a wide range. You know, you've got guys that, you, you know. Yeah. You, Hits yeah, from behind, dealt with, neck you've injuries. you dealt with concussions. Like Chris King told me one time, Kinger said, Peels, he goes, I'm sure I had a bunch of concussions, but I just woke up the next morning because I had eight or 10 or 12 beer after the game and figured I was, you know, just a little hungover, but I guarantee I had concussions. So, you know what? I, I think our game has evolved that there's still a place for it. You know, there's, listen, there's no, um, it's not a coincidence that nobody ragdolled Panarin this year or Zabinajad or any of those guys. Cause Ryan Reeves was in the lineup. So uh-huh. there's still a place for it. I just, uh, I, I worry that, Someday something really bad's going to happen, and would be a it would be a bad look for our sport. Yeah, there's always that possibility. And I think <clears throat> one of the things 
I worry about is even more so is the cross checks close to the boards. The times we see it, um, and you know they they crack down so much on the fucking little hook uh-huh. and on the hands. And I get it. It took us time to to get used to that and the players to adjust to that. But for me, it's worse when a guy gets fucking cross checked from behind, at times unsuspecting. And fucking goes face first in the boards. And it's like, that I think it t- is more dangerous than any fucking hook we're ever going to see. But why the hooking? Because, well, it takes Correct. away from the speed Correct. and the talent and all and, that. And you could really fuck someone up with and, the other. And I can tell you this from, from conference calls and at training camps and, and emails from Stephen Walkham, our director of officiating. He wants us to call the standard, as you mentioned, the hooks in the hands and so on. But he really, um, he does not want us to take the physicality out of the game. We can't take that physicality out. You know, we saw Truba this year knock out Crosby and knock out uh, somebody else, the Blackhawk player. And everybody was up in arms. Truba's a headhunter. No, they were just good open eye sits. We, I, what really bug, bugs yeah. me, guys, is when somebody throws a really good check in center ice and then he's expected to fight like that's bullshit he shouldn't have to fight just because he laid a you know laid a good open ice hit and uh but that's kind of where we're at now because as you know you go to some games and you're like is anyone going gonna throw a fucking check out here tonight like it's unbelievable but i get it too because it's amazing how after an 82 game schedule that first round of the playoffs, you got you have guys that never threw a check the entire year that are finishing their checks. So it's tough to keep that level of intensity up the whole season. You just can't do it. The guys are tired, and, and so. But uh, to me, the playoffs, the first round this year was phenomenal. I like I watched. I think I watched almost every game because the hockey was so good. It was so entertaining. So yeah, I agree. I thought the playoffs were. It was awesome. It was awesome. Just even seeing McDavid do what he did, and obviously you can go on and on, but I agree with that. That was that was fun this year for sure. That time he is always good, and, and and the intensity level comes up. Everything's on the line. I often think there's too many games, and certainly owners aren't going to give up any games because they're giving up money. But, boy, you know, four games a week, um, the travel, everything. And they get great travel. I get all that, the great hotel rooms. But – the the number of games to have a player be able to go out there and play at that peak performance and get that into you get some real yeah, you shit do. hockey games. You do, really, and- yeah. And there's not a whole whole lot they can do about it. It, it. Honestly, I always felt that they they played seventy games, it, it would be. A much better regular yeah. season yeah, no, you're, than we have now. Just yeah, you're, you're right. Months. And obviously, and you and I both know that'll never happen because of, of the gate revenue for the owners. But, you know, I've got a funny story with uh, Keith Kachuk's a good buddy of mine. We we hang out a lot here in St. Louis. And yeah. I will. Tell Keith and, I said hello. And uh, good Boston. You both are from Boston, right? Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so it was the lockout in 04 and Walt and I were drinking a lot and hanging out a lot. And, and one day we're at this watering hole called Obi Clark's here in St. Louis, good hockey bar. And, and we're drinking and I'm, I'm complaining to Walt. I'm like, I do about five blues games a year. You have 41 home games. 
I only have five home games the rest of the time on the, I'm on the road. So if, if 36 subtract five is, is, uh, uh, or I mean, 41 subtract five is 36. I've got 36 uh, more nights on the road, multiply flying in the night, the night before I'm on the road, 72 more nights a year than you. I said, and I'm flying commercial. I'm not flying charter. And Walt takes a sip out of his beer and he sets it down. He goes, well, I guess you should have been a better player. And, uh, and so, but going back to your point about reducing the schedule, like it's tough on our guys. Like people expect our guys to be yeah. on every night and, and they should be They're pros. They get paid well now. I get it, but there's, our guys have shitty travel. Sometimes flights get delayed, you know, you know, the, where the, the travel is now throughout the United States, it's, it sucks. And, uh, you know, our guys, yeah. sometimes you have to connect, you miss, you miss your, or your, your flight gets canceled. You, you don't get into, you know, the next, like I had many games throughout my career where I landed 1130, got to the hotel, grabbed a quick sandwich, had a pregame nap, and then went and did the game knowing that the players flew in the night before, uh, on a charter, got a good night's sleep. But as a pro, we've got to go. Okay. Like. I would always remember if I would was on like a ten day road trip. Come on, Tim. Tim, you only have to work. <laughs> Come on. But I remember I remember <laughs> if I was on a ten or twelve game road trip and it was my last game. Uh-huh. And it was my uh-huh. last game of the trip and I was flying home the next day to see my family and get home for, you know, two or three days before I headed out again. I would always go, You better this has to be your best game of your of the road trip. You don't wanna ha- have a because you got all kinds of excuses. You're tired. You've been on the road for 10 days. Um, you want to get home and see your family. But these teams expect a certain level of, of uh, officiating and professional. And I would go out and work my hardest in my final game to, to not only for them, but for me, when I would fly home, go, you know what? That's I could look in the mirror and go and have some pride and say, you know what? I, you worked your butt off tonight. And that's what the, the game deserves. I love that. I see. I love hearing that because, like, as a player, and you know, obviously, fan at times, uh, you you don't realize you just look at it like you're a referee, but you guys actually have your own preparation, your own worries. Like, so would you, when playoffs came, was it like as a player, was it the same as a ref? Would you amp it up? Would it be like more pressure? Were you trying to be like, this is the time of the year where I got to be a really good ref? Did, 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 yeah, that and, happen as and a ref? you know, obviously, you want to be a really good ref all year, but. That's a good question because we have 34 refs in the league and they take 20 to the playoffs every year. And I was fortunate enough. I, you know, I wasn't, I never professed to be Kerry Frazier, Don Koharski, Andy Van Helm and these guys. But I, from after my first year, I worked playoffs every year. I, I wasn't a guy that was in one year and out the next. And then the league knew that I, what they could expect from me and the consistency what they look for in the playoffs is the guys that don't work the playoffs are generally guys that make weak calls during the regular season. The league would rather you miss a little hook on the hand than call a, a penalty where he clearly lifted his stick. It wasn't even close to his hands. That now results in a power play goal. The other team's pissed off. The weak, the weak calls in this league, whether it's the regular season or the playoffs, absolutely kill you. If you make a weak call, the league goes, we cannot trust this guy. We cannot put him in a big game. And Kelly Sutherland and Wes McCauley and Chris Rooney right now are, 
to me are the three probably top three refs. Of course, they make weak calls throughout the year. They're going to have them over, uh, uh, you know, an 82 game schedule. We work 74 games. You're going to have a couple nights where you make, but as a as a, a, a body of work, those guys are the most consistent, and that's why you see those guys work in the Stanley Cup Finals. You know, uh, it, and it's funny you say that. And and, and how many years? 20, 20 years you worked. Uh, but how many were? Oh, the did I work? Twenty. Twenty-one. Yeah. Twenty-one. That's wow. awesome. Like, come on, two yeah. years you weren't in there. Uh, your record speaks for itself. And listen, I joke. I hate referees. Uh, in, in the military, you salute right. the rank, not the person. Uh, in, in hockey, I hate referees. I hate the sweater. I don't like. But away <laughs> from it, I listen. All those guys you mentioned, I've had right. a relationship with all of them, and they're good guys. And I, I get it, but boy, once they put that fucking thing yeah. on, my eyes they they turn like a shock, right? Well, I, they, fuck, they go white. Well, you but, think you think about this, you know, especially especially right so, now with this younger generation. Like when I was coming up, you know, whether it was Ty or Probert or Joey Kosher, or all the tough guys, but Matt Sundin and and Zetterberg and John Leclaire and Linda you could build a relationship with these guys and, and build a rapport with them. But the younger generation of players coming up like Connor McDavid, I don't know. You know, I roughed him since he came in the league up until last year. I don't, I cannot remember him ever coming up to talk to me about a penalty. Austin Matthews says nothing out there to the officials. They, they're one. They don't want to have a relationship with the ref. And their concern yeah. is about playing, and we've kind of lost a bit of that. And I'll tell you a quick story with with. Now, why is that though today that those superstar players don't want to have a relationship? It, it, like we heard McDavid, oh, he, he's a target. He's always getting, you know, let's give him preferential treatment. Same with Crosby back in the day. Now it's Matthews. Like what is it? I think it it's that? just the way you know. I think it's the way that the the society is right now and this generation of players that that are coming up they're so focused on just their own game and obviously obviously they're the team me, me, but me. I think they're I think they're really focused on their individual stats now and and I don't think that they just I I don't have the re, the answer 100% but I just think it's the generation of these young kids coming up that they really don't care to have a relationship with the players. And I remember years ago, Nick Felino. I love Nick. Um, he was he was a captain of Columbus, and and I always liked Mike. His dad was in Hershey when I was in the American League. And Mike was working. He was with the Colorado uh, Avalanche organization, and I messed up a call one night in Hershey. And and Mike's like, Timmy, don't worry about it. We're all we're all trying to reach the same goal here and make it to the NHL and we we make mistakes and you guys make mistakes. And so I always, Mike was just a tremendous, there is a tremendous guy. So when Marcus, well, he came a long way. I tell yeah. you. So, so Marcus and, and Nick, when they came in the league, I always had a soft spot for those, for those two. And so one night I called a penalty against Nick Felino in Montreal 
And he was motherfucking me on the way to the, he goes, he goes, you don't have any respect for me. You don't have, he just was going on about this respect factor. And it really bothered me because I had a tremendous amount of respect for, for Nick. And so a month later I'm in Columbus and I go knock on Torts's door and him and Bradshaw are in there. And, and I said, Torts, can I speak to Nick? And so Shazi goes and gets Nick and brings him in. And I go, what you said the other day about me not having respect for you is the furthest thing from the truth. Like referees, we respect the players. And I said, for, and I said, you know, my relationship with your dad. And, and I said, I've always had a soft spot for you and Marcus. And he goes, Timmy, I'm sorry. And we hugged it out and, and he leaves and Torts goes, Peelzy, we need more of that. We need more of that 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 relationship building with with players and refs because it's good for our game and on the flip side we have a lot of young refs in the league right now that I don't think their strong skill set is communication and developing that relationship either so it's not just the players that some of our young officials they don't feel comfortable just yet and maybe they will as they as they're in the league longer but I don't I think it's both sides right now yeah. What's the funniest thing so a player's ever said? You can you recall like a funny moment? Well, Sean Avery was a beauty. Like he, he was mm-hmm. he, you know, he, we know he's a piece of work and we're in we're in at Madison Square Garden one night in New York and and he's playing for the Rangers and Tyler Kennedy's playing for Pittsburgh. And I don't know if you know what Tyler Kennedy looks like, but he's kind of got a he's kind of got a pig he's got a pig nose. So Avery's mm-hmm. calling him pig nose. Hey, pig nose. Hey, pig nose. Fuck you, pig nose. He's calling him pig nose all night. And I don't, I, I can't, I'm not picking up on it. So finally I go up to Avery. Oh. I go, what? <clears throat> who are you calling? Like, what? who are you calling pig nose? He goes, Kennedy says, look at his face. He's got a nose like a pig. And I just looked at him. I'm like, where do you come up with this oh. shit? Like, it's unbelievable. <laughs> there got to be some funny moments out there. And you talk about <clears throat> those relationships and, I look back, you know, all through my time in the NHL, and you know, obviously, I, I hated Kerry. I thought he was out for me <laughs> fucking every game. And, and listen, the three thousand minutes I deserved, fucking probably every one, but maybe ten minutes. But you know, he was a guy. You <clears throat> couldn't really talk to him. He'd give you the fucking stern look all the time. Andy Van Hollemon, uh-huh. I loved him. Uh, all the linesmen, I didn't have a problem with. They're the, the, the best. And John was one. Um, and, and, you know, Stewie used to talk to me. Hey, settle down, Chris. I, you know, Andy Van Hellemann, 86 Stanley Cup final. Um, I hit the post twice, crossbar twice, twice in Calgary. Yeah. And he said to me, Chris, he'd come up behind me and, uh, and he said, Chris, hit the fucking net, will you? He actually sure. wanted to see he me score to a goal, score, right? Absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah, and it was cool. Yeah. You know, I was like, okay, cool. And then I'm ready to go out and fucking chop someone now, and 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 he'll let he'll <laughs> let it slide, maybe. But I didn't think that way. But you know, guys did have that relationship, and there was, you know, listen, back then, five penalties in a game, and you know, there's only three called against us. You know, it's yeah. coming, and. And people would always say, oh, fuck, they always got to even it up, even it up. Now, do you do you sense that or did you – were you around that as a referee in the NHL? You're in that room with those guys between periods. You are talking. Shit's going to happen. 
is there ever any talk of it? Yeah, no, for sure. And, and, you know, I'd be, you know, I'd be lying and not honest to your listeners if, if that wasn't the case. Now I can say this because everyone always would say to me over the last years, but you know, especially with what happened with me is, is are there makeup calls? Are there makeup calls? Well, no, there's not makeup calls, but what there is, is if we've got five penalties against Montreal and we have zero against Toronto, you better not fucking miss the next penalty against Toronto. If there's a trip or there's a, a hook or a slash, your antennas go up and go, we cannot miss a penalty against Toronto. If we miss a penalty that, that you know, Pat Burns sees on the Montreal bench mm-hmm. and everybody on the bench sees it and we miss it, then they really think we're trying to shove it up their ass that night. So you cannot go out and call a penalty that isn't there because if you consistently do that, well, you're not going to work the playoffs because you're just, they're going to say you're just, you make soft calls. So are there makeup calls? It's not a makeup call. It is, you better not miss the next one. That's what it is. Like, it's just the reality. People always have always used this word. Well, it's a makeup call. Well, was it a penalty? Well, yeah, it was a penalty. Well, that's not, it's not a makeup call. Then if it's a penalty, it's not a makeup call. So, that's the only thing is that if the penalties are really getting lopsided, you better not miss one against the other team. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I mean, you're just trying to stay neutral, like, like, right? Like, and I think that's so hard to do. I was just sick. I was parenting my kids. They're seven and four. I can't, I have a problem. You know, I struggle right. like roughing them. Like I'm trying to keep like if, each if, side happy. I yeah, can't like imagine Toronto and St. Louis, or St. Louis and Chicago are playing and I've given five penalties in a row to Chicago and then and now I give two against St. Louis that are weak calls and they're not even penalties. Well, that's not good for my career. That's not I'm not working playoffs. But what like I said a second ago, you cannot miss a penalty against the other team. If there's an opportunity there, if they give you the opportunity to call it, you 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 can't miss it or you piss the other team off. All right. Now um I, I, I want to address a couple things with you that have happened during your career that, um, um, do you read about it on the internet or <laughs> just a little bit? No. <laughs> and, and, and listen, I, I, the, the elephant in the room, I, we can't avoid talking about, but I, I want to, want to talk about back in the one ref system. We often heard, this fucking guy lost control of uh-huh. the game. Fucking, he's no good. He lost control of the game. What do you think of that statement, one, in that one referee system? And do you think the two referee system more or less doesn't allow that to happen today? No, that's a great question. And I, it, it can happen whether it's one ref or two refs. Rob Schick, you remember Rob Schick, Knuckles, he was a good ref. He's a supervisor now for the league. He would say to us in every playoff meeting, and McCreary would do the same thing. They would say, do your homework early in the first period. If there's a trip, get it. If there's a slash, get it. If there's a cross check, if there's a punch to the head, if there's a scrum and one guy's, you can pick one guy out of the scrum. You need to do your homework in the first period. You can't let all that go, and now we're in the third period, and it's now it's getting it's escalating because you haven't called you didn't take care of it in the first period. 
well, you can't start calling it in the third period because the players are going to look at you going, what the fuck's going on? You just, we just went two periods and you allowed all this and you have to get it. Every good uh, playoff game I had is when I did my homework early in the first period, because that set the tone for the rest of the game. The players knew, okay, this is what peels he's calling. This is a standard he's calling. And if you get, if you were, if you were fortunate enough to so consistency, you said it, and if you, you were stay fortunate enough that they that. would give you some penalties in the first period, and you're like, yes, perfect, cross check, trip, slash, high stick, boom, I'm on it. I got four or five penalties, or three or four. Now, now, as a ref, you go, okay, boys. Now the game is in your hand. Now you guys decide how you want to play. If you want to keep playing like that, I'll keep calling the penalties. But now you guys know the standard. And if you're comfortable with that standard, we might go the rest of the game without a penalty. But you need to do your homework early. How about those rivalry games? The Say the Ranger, Washington one, Edmonton, Calgary, Boston, Montreal. Do you do your homework the night before and do you talk about that with your linesmen? And yeah, your absolutely. Other and it starts... You know, it starts either if you're in the night before and you have dinner, but in the morning, you know, uh, we we as a as a team, we would always get to be, get together for breakfast. Ninety nine percent of the time, the four of us would be in the gym working out in the morning before the game. We go to lunch together as a team. We would be prepared. We would be preparing ourselves throughout the day. Then we get in the dressing room. We're stretching. We're riding the bike. We're warming up. We talk about, okay, we've got these guys in the lineup tonight. Two weeks ago, they played each other, and this is what happened. Let's be aware of this tonight. You know, so-and-so ran over the ran over the goalie a couple weeks ago. Let's make sure we take care of, of the goaltenders. Make sure we're prepared. If there's any bumps in the crease, let's get it early. Even if it's maybe a, a, a not, not as bad as maybe – this you know in previous games goalie interference but if you can set the standard early and you know you've got a Vasilevsky that that is one of the best goalies in the league and all of a sudden if they're now take, taking liberties if you can get a goalie interference penalty early in the game you're telling you're telling both teams hey I'm going to protect the goalies this is the standard don't do not go near the net so our preparation knuckles starts in starts in the morning and our guys are prepared. You know, we, we watch a lot of video throughout the year after every game, I'd come back to the room with a glass of wine and, you know, watch different parts of my game and not so much. Some nights it wasn't, some nights you might have three or four penalties. So there really wasn't much to watch, but I'd watch, okay, what's my positioning like in the corner? Am I getting, am I getting in the way in the cycle? Where can I move? Should I, should I have moved from that corner and slid behind the net into the other corner where there's no traffic? So you're constantly trying to teach yourself and Wacom does a really good job of sending out videos like that to help the guys throughout the year. That's cool. And uh, then how do you know, like for you, how would you know, how would you know, like I roughed a just great know. game today? Like, did, did that come external? Like, yeah. did that come from people? You just know. And, you just know. And okay. whether there's okay. a supervisor there or not, you know, we've got six supervisors, six or eight. They can't obviously cover every game, but you know, Steven, watches every game every night coley mike murphy chris king rod pasm all those guys in toronto they watch every game you just know as a ref if you have any pride at all what 
know, some guys think they they rough a good game every night, but then they don't work the playoffs at the end of the year. So they're probably not really being honest with themselves. But if you're honest with yourself, you go, you know what? That was a fair game. Yeah, I missed a couple on both sides, but the players were happy. The coaches were happy. Nobody said a word. And you know yourself, when you look yourself in the mirror, you know whether you did a good job or not. How about that? You brought all those names up, that fucking Toronto group, uh, calling goals and fucking no goals and this and that. What? Why is it? There's no fucking there is, reason. There is. Um, so there every moves. night in the playoffs, uh, there's a referee in there. It could be Bill McCreary, Don Van Massenhoven, Paul Dvorsky. Right. We started that. That's a, you, you're not wrong in your in your statement. It started, started recently, in the last couple then, of years, right? Where okay. where every yeah, week yeah. we have a referee, an ex referee that goes in there and sits in the in the situation room, and that was a good thing because. Kinger and, and Whitmore and obviously Mike Murphy and Coley, you know, they've been around hockey a long time, but they've never put on a jersey and officiated a game. So they see nope. things in a different light. And I think they do, a, you know, it's a tough job in there some nights. But it was, I think it was a really good uh, thing when they started bringing in one of our guys to, to help explain, hey, this was why this was called or, hey, this is why this was missed. And uh, so there, it, it works well now. This fucking goaltender interference thing, fuck. I get protecting them, but it, it's fucking overdone. And it really, I believe, hurts the game. When you got to go and look at, they send it to fucking Toronto. But people don't know what a fucking goal is or a no goal or a goal. It, 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 it's crazy. Like, there's, there's so many. You hear the announcer say, oh, I fucking stopped even trying to figure it out. I mean, right? I know. Like, like it's crazy. <laughs> they they got to come up but with something. The but the problem is, is, Chris, is like, that, and uh, I've got a couple buddies that are MLB umpires. They're bringing in, they're bringing in yeah. this computer system. Ronnie Culpa, he worked the he worked the World Series last year. They're they're bringing in strike a computerized zone. strike zone. And I said, "What are you going to do?" He goes, "I'm just going to I stand to the side of the plate for different calls." But we're yeah. living in this world now where everybody expects the game to be officiated perfectly. And I'm sorry, but it just doesn't work that way. And, and you know, yeah. the offside challenges, I wish they had never brought it in. You know, you're, you're, you're doing a playoff game. It's offside by this much. The linesman, you, you look at it in real time. It looks like you, you made a great call. So high. Yeah. The crowd's yeah. cheering. The players are cheering. All of a sudden, the goal gets taken back. The energy energy just gets sucked out of the building. I like that we're allowed to review headshots, uh, double minors for high stick, for example. You know, you high, you high everyone thinks you high stick somebody and he's bleeding. But then you watch the replay and it was his own teammate's stick. Okay. Now we just put you in the yeah. box for four right. minutes. Everybody in the building, all the players, all the coaches are watching on the iPad. They go, you got the call wrong. It was his own player stick there. That was a bad feeling as a ref, but now they can review that to get it right. So review is good for some things, um, but it's the world we're living in now. Like you and I are on social media. Pete, if someone gets tripped and our guy and it miss, and our guys miss it. Fuck! It's on social. It's on Twitter. Five seconds later, ah, oh, they missed it. 
they ex- that's the world we're yeah. living in now where they just they're fucking they ripping you a new perfection asshole. and it's not reality yeah so all right so those 23 years and 21 in the playoffs um a long illustrious career and um you know down near the end it, fuck it, it's a shame what happened and it it was because I, a couple things i'll give you my thoughts on but the night before yeah. the jersey game you go and meet with this rat fuck yeah yeah greg washinsky i think he's a rat fuck who um does to get listen he apparently was one of your harshest critics you're gonna go meet with him say hi whatever and you know right. the, the human side of things and and you have a drink with him and did he ever ask you is okay if i tweet that out? uh i think he said he was going to tweet it out and, and so in fairness to him you know i i put myself in that position so to backtrack so He's to backtrack still a um there's 34 refs in the league and and he <laughs> all of a sudden it was 2014 and i get picked to go to the olympics in russia and there were just seven of us from the NHL that were going over. So, you know, it was a big thrill and an honor. And and he writes this whole article about me and and what a joke it is. And every – so this goes on for a couple of years. And he would criticize me after every game. So, you know, of course, you know, as much as you don't you, – you should not let it bother you. And I had – it, it fucking hurts you. It You're hurts. human. You're like, fucking human. Like Coley said to me once, right? really, yeah. that, not once, he said to me that day, the next day, he's like, you can't worry about what people say about you. Well, I'm only human and, and it bothered me. And and I and I just had started having kids and I'm like, my kids are going to Google Tim Peel and and they're just going to think he's the worst ref in the league. And it bothered me. So he does, he does this podcast or did this podcast cast with Jeff Merrick with uh, Sportsnet and Merrick uh, brokers a meeting with us in in New York at Foley's Pub, and so we go there and we're watching hockey and just um, I wanted to get him I wanted to kind of find out and I never really got a, an, an answer but I wanted to, for him to meet me and and just know me as a person and and so we drank and had beers and then he's like hey let's do a tequila shot and and so we do it and you know this is two thousand. 15. So social media was just starting them, but that's seven years ago. It wasn't as rampant, obviously, as it is now. So I really didn't give much thought to it. And the next morning, Wacom calls me and I'm, I'm in New York and he's like, we got a problem. There's this picture on the internet of you doing a tequila shot. And I'm like, fuck. So they phone me at about 12 o'clock and Coley calls and, and he goes, uh, or then I talked to him and then Stephen called back and he goes, you've been taken off the game in Jersey. So I was devastated. I was sick to my stomach the whole day. But the good thing is they kept me there in New York. The next day I worked the Ranger game. So I knew I wasn't getting fired because, you know, if 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 I knew I was in trouble, they would have just sent me home. Wow. Plus they let me work the Ranger game 24 hours later in the heat of where it happened, New York City. And so everything... Now it's all dying down. You know, I worked the game Friday in, in or Saturday in uh, New York. 
Sunday rolls around, it's dying down and they're, you know, they're on to the next story. Well, Sunday night I get up yeah. to, to get a, a drink of water and I see my phone and it's got like 50 text messages. I'm like, this isn't good. Well, Ron Fournier has, had has this radio show or he did have this radio show in Montreal. Yeah. And he said that I had been suspended and I, he obviously had talked to one of our officials and so then the shit hit the fan again. And now I'm work. This is Sunday night. I'm working Monday in St. Louis in my hometown. I'm on the phone with walk. I'm all over again. It's just, it just will not die down. So anyway, a lot, a lot of focus was on me and, and so on. And one of the years I didn't work the playoffs was that year. And I had worked really well prior, prior to this incident and the year before, I think I'd worked second or third round and, so I knew Steven was going to have a tough decision to make because playoffs were coming up in a couple of weeks. And I phoned him up and I said, you can't put me in the playoffs. I said, it's too much of a distraction. It's going to be a distraction on our team, on our, on all the guys. It's all they're going to talk about is, is every game I ref, you know, they're going to talk about it. And, well, good on you. Good on you for doing that. You're giving up money, money too, yeah, right? So I Extra write this money, email right? to Stephen and yeah. to Coley and Gary and, and all the officials. And I said, I've taken myself out of the playoffs, blah, 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 blah. So now my daughter's like two years old. I take her for a walk outside and Wes McCauley calls me. He goes, you doing okay? And and I just break down crying because it was such a, like I had always prided myself in working the playoffs and now it wasn't working. So it was uh, tough, but you know what? I, I, so that it's funny because there's 67 officials on our staff, 67, 68, and you've got your core group of guys. You've got, you know, you've got really five guys that were my buddies and the rest of them, they're your colleagues, you're friends with them, but, but acquaintances, those guys that aren't working playoffs or even are working playoffs when, when I, took myself out of the playoffs, not a lot of them felt sorry for me because now it was their opportunity to work, work the playoffs. Yeah. So yeah, then yeah. that's life, right? Yeah. That's fucking life. They don't. So then that, the right? next, so that <laughs> summer, because the rumblings were uh, when the season started from our guys were, uh, or was that Peel's done. You'll never get back in the playoffs. Fuck, you know, he's done. And I said to walk him that summer, I said, I'll be back. I'll be back in the playoffs next year. I said, you know me, you know where I came from, my life that I, I said, I've always been, you know, I've always had perseverance and resiliency and been knocked down and I'm not going to let this fucking define me. And sure enough, he put me back in the playoffs that year. And it was funny because that, that fall, <clears throat> Stefan Cantel was the head of player safety and it was September of the new season, October of the new season. And I called Rafi Torres in the preseason for an illegal hit to the head on, on a Anaheim player. And they suspended him 40 games. And I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, I'm sitting here actually in my office where Cantel called me and he goes, I am so happy that you were the ref that got that call because now you're back in. You showed the guys, Hey, I wasn't in last year, but I'm ready. And so it's the ups and downs of your career. It's like this, you know, and, but uh, 
Well, I'm glad. I'm glad you didn't let it define you. And uh, and I'll I'll say this and I'll say it again. You went yeah. to kind of bury your hatchet with this guy Wachinski, and he fucking ends up. You're walking out the door and he fucking whacks you over the head with it. That's the way I look at it. I'll never look at him another <laughs> way. He's a rat fuck. Um, now, <laughs> if, if we can um, move forward to, uh, sure. you know, certainly the one that um, fucking hammers you over the head again and the league does. And what, what really bothers me about this one is the family. Your family, your wife, your children are going to go on the ice April 24th, your last game. You're going to retire. And then you have this incident in um, in Nashville. And it, it's fucking heartbreaking what happened afterwards. And, and and listen, I get it. I told you the referee sure. thing. But as a person and, and the human side of it, and we often don't look at that when we talk about referees. And I'm one of those fucking guys when I was on the ice. I, Yeah, I know those guys off the ice. But on the ice, I didn't look at the human side of it. Fuck them. Do your job. Shut up. And and then you get in this, this um, you, Mike isn't off. And um, you end up uh, coming out with a statement. It wasn't much, but I wanted to get a fucking penalty against Nashville early in the and then the audio cuts out. Now, mm-hmm. you didn't turn your mic off. Huh? And and you certainly took responsibility for that. But, I mean, you were going to say that anyway, yeah. Mike, right? You thought the mic was off. So you're going to say that anyway. And You know what? It's, what uh, it's been a year and, you know, a year and a half now. And I've done a really good job of, you know, kind of – not letting it bother me move on but it's so ironic that you and i and tim are doing the show today because last night and i don't remember you know when you have a dream you remember it but then as the day goes on you remember less of it but some some for some reason last night i was having this dream and it was about i was getting fired and but then they were looking at rehiring me and i you know dreams are bizarre so I know it's still, it's back there somewhere. Um, and I'll never get rid of it. Yeah. And I'll never get rid of it. Subconscious. But so it was March 23rd. And what's ironic is that that day, uh, and Knuckles, you know, this, the equipment managers, they, they take care of you. They don't get paid a lot. Um, you would always yeah. take care of those guys with bonuses at the end of the year and so on. So, the equipment yeah. manager for Nashville is a guy by the name of Pete Rogers. And I'd known Pete since our days together in the American league in Rochester. And he's just a phenomenal person. And we had just formed this friendship so that, and you know, he'd take care of washing my laundry and fixing skates and, and your equipment throughout my career. And so that afternoon I actually went out and bought a nice bottle of Camus wine before the game, I go down to Nashville's equipment to his office. Todd Richards is sitting there, the uh, the uh, assistant coach, and I give it to Pete and I, you know, hug him and thanks for everything. And we sat there and, you know, I got a chew of tobacco and a coffee, and we're sitting talking about horses and kids and hockey and just all, not even not the NHL, just life in general with with Todd and I and and Pete. So finally, I'm like, well, I guys, I got to go. I got to, you know, 
I've been in there for a half an hour, 40 minutes. I'm like, I got to get ready for the game. So I didn't walk out of that building or out of that dressing room going, I want to get Nashville tonight. Like that's fucking stupid. And by the way, you're retiring in four weeks. Let's blow it all up and, and make a fucking scandal and, yeah. and, and embarrass yourself. Like that was not my mindset going into this, obviously. <laughs> so when I called the penalty and you, and I, you pride yourself and, you know, I had talked about it earlier about making soft calls and, and I had thought Arvidsson had tripped the Detroit player and, and I see the replay and, and I go over and Kelly Sutherland, who's a veteran referee that I, we came up together and he's probably the first or second, you know, best ref in the league right now. And I was embarrassed because he, it, the reason I was embarrassed is it was 10 feet from him and I'm outside the blue line and I make this call. I should have just let it go. Cause he's, you know, even if we did miss it, it was a, it was a trip. It wasn't much but I should have deferred to him because he's 10 feet away. So it was kind of my defense mechanism as I'm coming over going, yeah, instead of, because I was embarrassed that I made this shitty call. And I, so I said what I said. And so Nashville doesn't, what happened? So it's funny because Ken Daniels, who does the play-by-play for Detroit, he phones me the next day, he goes, we caught it on our feed and we squashed it, but Nashville caught it on their feed and they played it. And so Nashville wins the game. Nobody says a word. We called one other penalty against Nashville the entire game. So obviously I was not out to fuck Nashville. We called two penalties. Yeah. Like, so the game ends yeah. and it's everyone's yeah. happy. And, and I had four weeks to go and I just kind of wanted to ride off in the sunset. I, I wanted to keep both teams happy. I didn't want to piss anybody off. I didn't want to throw any coaches out. Didn't want to throw any players out. You know, I just... I wanted to just ride off into the sunset and, yeah. and so phone rings in the dressing room and it's Stephen Walkham. He never calls right away after a game. And so I answer it and I said, what, I said, what's going on? He goes, we got a big problem. I, I go, what? I didn't even know what he was talking about. And he goes, this is what's said. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. So I hang up and the Kelly Sutherland, the two linesmen look at me and they're like, what's going on? I go, I may get fired tonight. And they're like, come on. And so I get back to the hotel room. I've got to send an email to Cole. What's that? Sick to your stomach, right? Oh, yeah. We are sick yeah. to your stomach probably, right? Oh, yeah, it is it's the, the worst, worst feeling. feeling right? So I so I get to the oh. uh, hotel and i got to write an email to Gary and Bill Daly and Coley and Steven. And I explain the situation. This is not what I meant. To, what I said is not what I meant. I just, it, the words came out wrong and, and, Obviously, my intent, if you look at the score sheet, it wasn't that. And you, I've also refed in this league for 23 years. And if you are if you have a reputation like that, you're not going to last 23 years. You're going to get fired and, and or you're not going to work. Well, you're going to get fired first, but certainly you're not going to work playoffs if that's the reputation that you have. So I'm told that night by our president of our association, you're not getting fired. Don't worry about it. So on. But they did tell me. I was supposed to go to Dallas on a day off. They did tell me you got to book a flight to you book a flight home. You're not going to Dallas. So I book a flight home. I'm at the airport. It's seven 30 in the morning and Wacom calls me. He goes, um, where are you? I said, I'm at the airport. He goes, well, you, I hate to tell you this, but you've worked your last game in the national hockey league. So 
I didn't grovel because when they mm. told me about that they were taking me off the game in in uh, New Jersey the night before with the tequila shot, I knew I'd really fucked up there. Um, but I said, don't do it. I can work the game. Don't, but and I had this real sick, sick feeling to my stomach when that happened, when this happened, I knew I didn't even have a sick feeling to my stomach that next morning. Cause I knew what I said, it came out wrong and much worse things have been said in an NHL hockey game than what I said. But unfortunately in the world we're living in now, um, you make a mistake and, and you know, it's all, done all of a sudden you, it's all taken You're away. Paying. So I, so Steven said that and knuckles, I go, okay. I said, I gotta let you go. And I didn't say another word because I knew the decision was made and I knew it was done. So I fly home and I don't know that they're going to do this, but they release a statement while I'm in the air uh, saying that I'm done and I'm not working. So all of a sudden my wife at home is getting all these messages. I'm so sorry. Are yeah. you okay? Is how's Tim? And I haven't even told her yet. So I land in St. Louis and of course I call and she's crying. And, you know, it's a fucking shit show, but I'm, but I'm flying, but I'm driving home Ugh. and I get this number across my phone and, you know, my phone is like nonstop, you know, and I'm name dropping here, but Gretzky and Lou Lamorello and Brian Burke and, and Daryl Sutter and Tortorella and Claude Julian and on and on. Everyone's reaching out to me going, this is a fucking joke. And so I'm driving home and I get this Columbus number and it's David Clarkson and David hated referees. He may have hated referees more than you knuckles. So him and I had more fuck you contests on the ice probably than any other player. And he called, and so for mm-hmm. when he said, hey, it's David Clarkson for a split second, I, I go, oh, shit, he's going to say it looks good on you. And he goes, I just want to let you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm retired, but I live in Denver now. And I was just playing with some ex-players uh, today, and we were just talking about what happened, what a travesty is it is. And he goes, I know I was tough to officiate or tough to referee, but he said, Whenever I saw your name in our dressing room, I always knew I had one of the best refs and I knew I had one of the most fairest refs. And I just wanted you to know that. So it was nice to get those type of calls because your buddies can call you and all your friends. But when you get calls from people that you don't even think liked you, and because as a ref, you don't want to be liked in this business. Bill McCreary would always say, you just want to be respected because if you go into this business trying to be liked by everybody, you're not going to be a good ref because there's going to be nights where, you know, Joe, Joe Thornton, mm-hmm. I love Joe Thornton. To me, he's one of the greatest guys that I ever uh, have been around in my, you know, him and I came up together from Sault Ste. Marie. We were friends, but if I had to call a penalty against him, I, I called a penalty against him because I knew he respected me. You can't be friends with the players you can be, but there's also going to be a level of respect there too. So, so anyway, that day sucked. I got home chaser, you know, Kelly chase is a good friend of mine here in St. Louis and took me under his wing when I moved here 21 years ago. And, and so we're talking that morning and, you know, I'm kind of surviving and just getting through it. And he calls me at one and he goes, uh, he goes, I got some bad news to tell you. And I go, you got some fucking bad news to tell me. I said, have you seen my day? And he goes, he goes, Bobby Plager just got killed in a car accident <laughs> and gives me chills right now because Bobby was yeah. just the best and, and was one of those guys that was so nice to me when yeah. I moved to St. Louis and, and my kids loved him and he loved them. And I'd always see him at the rink watching his grandson play. And so social media just switched in St. Louis from Tim Peel to, to, uh, 
Bobby Plager. And Chaser goes, Bobby loved you so much. PLZ said he thought he'd take the heat off you today. So, so anyway, so that day, you know, um, my kids get home. I tell them what happened. I start crying because that's the only thing still to this day is that they didn't get to see, um, they didn't get to see their dad work a final game. And and it's still, it, it, you, I usually don't get choked up about it because it's been a year and a half and I've talked so much about it. But lately, it's kind of bothered me a bit um, because it was not the way that I wanted to end my career, you know. And, but I, you know, I said to people, I said, I'm not going to let a two-second audio clip define who I am and my career. And I, I spoke to the, the St. Louis Police Department a couple weeks ago, and they introduced me and and, uh, you know, the guy introduced me, said 1,362 games and blah, 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 and Olympics and so on. And I get up and it was a police in the FBI here in St. Louis. And I get up and I said to them, I go, all that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? And they're like, yeah, yeah. I go, but it really doesn't mean a fucking thing. It doesn't mean shit. I said, because all that matters is what kind of person you are, how you raise your kids. Um, and it, because of my upbringing and, and being adopted and my, how I grew up and so on. I said to my wife, I said, you know, me, I said, I've had a lot of ups and downs. And I told these kids at my referee camp, I said, life's pretty good for you guys right now. You're 14 to 21 parents probably bought you a car. You're in high school. You got a girlfriend, but I said, you're going to get kicked in the nuts uh, throughout your life. And it's really how you come out on the other side that anybody cares about. And you, and so Tisha said to me about two or three weeks into it, she goes, you're doing really well with this. Like I said, I'm doing well because I said, I, what I said is not what I meant. I had a great career. That's not how I refereed. That's not how the players perceive me or the coaches. But I said, more importantly, I've got an example to set for my son Bronson and my daughter Brielle that life's tough. Sometimes it sucks. And we've all had our ups and downs knuckles. And I know you have. And it's about how you come out on the other side, because really at the end of the day, nobody get, I had a party at my house two or three weeks after this incident and everybody I could kind of tell was walking on eggshells. So I finally said, Hey, I'm fine. Everything's good. And this one buddy of mine that lives down the street, Andy Kaiser, he goes, Tim, he said this in front of everybody goes, we weren't your friend or we're not your friend because you were an NHL ref. He says, you could have been a garbage man. He goes, we're your friend because of who you are and the type of person you are. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, that's all that matters. Do I, and I've talked to Bill Daly a mm-hmm. couple of times since then about different things. And, yeah. and I understand it. I'm the one that said it. They were protecting the shield. I get it. Do I wish the outcome had been different? Yes. Would it have been different if, you know, if you think about this, like in the U.S., Fox Sports is now Bally Sports. So there's a lot of gambling on hockey now, and it was a way for them to show their gambling partners, hey, this isn't how our referees officiate. But everybody yeah. knows that a good referee is is knows when to call a penalty and maybe when to let something go. You don't need it in the game. That's how you become a good referee. And and people are are naive when if if they say, well, just call the rule, just call it by the rules. Well, those are people that have probably never played sports in their life. They don't understand it. Mm-hmm. So. Um, there's an art to it. There's an art. There's a reason Bill McCreary and 
Devo and Coho and, and these guys, West McCall, the West Macaulay's of the world to now that they're good referees is you have to know when to call something and maybe when to kind of let something go. Um, so it was tough, but well, you know what? Life moves well, on and nobody cares Tim, anymore. So, Hey, and, and listen, you're right on the money and it, it I got to see a little bit on social media and, and a couple interviews and stuff like that. I got to meet you today here. And yes, a, a very good man. And uh, I want to say God bless you. And what you did is not let it define you. you. You picked your chin up, you put your chest out, and you stiffened up that fucking backbone of yours. And you're right about that when it comes to, to shit in life. Exactly. We, all, <laughs> we all get dealt shit at some time or another. Uh, again, for me, when I look at that, yeah, it's painful. And I know, I'm sure it was painful for you and your family. But here you are, the other side of it today with us. And I, I appreciate and, you it, know, Michael. You are one of the good guys uh, in the game, no question about it. And it was it was just awesome to have you uh, I appreciate join us that here. very much. And, and, I, and know, again, I mean that. So, You know, I know not to make Chris feel old or whatever, because I'm 56. I'm not that, that young. But, you know, I, I loved watching you play. I loved watching you play and I'll, I'll be honest, you know, I was at me. the rink the other day when you called and showed my buddy, I go, no big deal. Chris Nyland's calling me, no big deal. You know, just joking around because for me to be able to <laughs> sit and talk to you, it's, yeah. it's an honor to, to hang out with you and talk. And I'm hoping sometime we can get together and have a beer and shoot the shit. So good awesome. stuff. And Tim, you were going to say something, Timothy. I know you were. Oh no. I was just going to say, I appreciate, uh, obviously you coming on, but you know, more importantly, like as a young father myself, I, it was a good lesson in, in what you're teaching and kind of how you take things that happen to you and, and, and make them happen for you. And I think, you know, it's easy to be a victim in, in, in some certain situations. And, you know, personally, I'm um, just hearing you and my own experience. It's like, you, you don't have to be, I mean, it's, uh, you know, like I said, well, it's awesome. You just to, used you know, a great, Timmy, you just used a great word when you said victim. Um, we need more accountability in our life, right? Everybody wants to, and I don't want to get into politics, but everybody wants to blame everybody for everything. And nobody, like I see it, I see it at, you know, my kids are in school. And if a teacher calls me and says he did this, then I'm like, I'll deal with it. But I know other parents go, well, what? well, what did you guys do wrong in the class? Like, it was it the teacher, like everybody wants to blame everybody else. And maybe I'm a little old school that way, but I'm the one that said it. The NHL didn't say it. I'm the one that made the fucking stupid comment and made it and, and created a shit show. Like, you know, it was on CNN, Fox. I was on the golf channel. I was on, it was on every show in the world. I was the one that said it. Nobody else said it. And that's why I kind of, not comfort, but it, I, I'm like, I said it, I made the mistake and you learn from it. And we need more accountability in our life because, you know, I'm not the victim, yep. you know, Bill Daly and Gary Bettman treated me phenomenal in my career. Our CBA, they paid us well. You know, I could have, I was, I was in shit a few times in my career. You know, I, one night, one night when James Neal, and I love the real deal, Nate, James Neal, but he was known as a bit of an embellisher and it's on YouTube. And, and it was a Boston player stick, uh, a Boston goalie. It was Tuca stick came up and hit James here. 
and he flops in the corner and I go, and I, you hear, it, it was like the microphone was implanted in my ass because you hear me go, fuck you. You're getting a fucking embellishment penalty. Well, that was all over the internet. Well, the Nashville owner at the time wanted me fired. He said to Steven that players shouldn't be, refs shouldn't be swearing. So the league was very supportive of me throughout my career. And, uh, you know, I, I, I refuse to be, we have a lot of guys for whatever reason that leave this business bitter. They leave it bitter because they got fired. Uh, they, they didn't work playoffs or they didn't, they get didn't one make more the big game. money. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and I refuse to be that guy that leaves the, the, the game bitter because everything I have is because of the national hockey league, everything. And I don't want to live my life going, yeah, I'm going to blame everybody else and be bitter. Mm. Fuck that. I, I've got a great life and great family and great friends. I don't want to live my life like that. That that's, that's doesn't do anybody any good. You're accountable to yourself and your family and, and exactly. listen, that's all you really need. That's and that's right. all that really counts in the end. So, you know, whatever shithead over here says or shithead yeah. over there says, or whatever I say about Wyshynski, he don't give a shit. He's still a no. rat fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>